We are so grateful to have you guys, and uh, occasionally they allow me to come. I say occasionally, it's been a year since I've been to Regen to do a step study. Um, but the purpose of a, yeah, I'm admitting that. Uh, matter of fact, let me go ahead and just start. Uh, my name is Brandon. Uh, I am alive in Christ. Uh, I have many struggles. Uh, among those uh, could be lust. I used to be uh, a porn addict. Um, I struggle now with pride, perfectionism, people-pleasing, among many other things. And so the fact that God allows me to be a pastor has a lot to do with his grace and his mercy. And uh, today I want to uh, just begin the process of helping you see what Regen is all about. And Regen is obviously a step program. It's got swell, uh, 12 steps, very similar uh, to what you would get from Alcoholics Anonymous or Celebrate uh, Recovery. Uh, both of those uh, have some wonderful things about them. But the one thing that differs, or several things that differ from what Regen is and what those programs are, is number one, we would call uh, our problem uh, not alcohol, not um, porn or drug abuse or any of those things. And so we don't even decide, we, we decide not even to group you in those categories. We call it sin. We say that the, the, the greatest problem to man is our sinful flesh. It's the nature that we're born with. And until we get to the point where we're really ready to embrace step one, which many of you are embracing that because you're here at Regen, but that step one literally is admitting. And what are you admitting? You're just admitting that you are powerless over your own life, that if it's in your hands, then ultimately it's going to spiral out of control. And so we admit that we're powerless over our addiction, our brokenness, our sinful patterns, and ultimately that in our own lives, our, uh, in our own hands, our own lives, that are just simply unmanageable. And so that's what sin does to us. It, it, it's a curse. And so that's one thing that we, we establish real quickly is that we're sinners and that we um, have a lot of struggles in our own lives to manage what we would call life. Um, the second thing that I would say differs is simply this. Uh, we would even say that our solution is not found in coping mechanisms. It's not found in cough medicine, so to say. And so the many things that you have in your life, many things that you struggle with, the reason I struggle with per, uh, pride, the reason I struggle with uh, perfectionism, the re reason I struggle with overeating uh, is because uh, I put... Um, stock in the wrong place. And I oftentimes use those as coping mechanisms to cover up the very sin that I have going in my life. But until I recognize that it's not a higher power I need, but Jesus Christ I need, then I'm rendered hopeless. And so that's the difference about what we would say Regen is. Regen is a step study, but listen, it is an opportunity for you to get to know your Bible, to see like-minded people in a group with you, and to say, let's lock arms together, realizing that we're all sinners, all in need of a Savior named Jesus Christ. And let's develop in the next 10 months, a year together for some of you men in here. Because uh, we're slower, it may be a year and a half, okay? Uh, but you just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on knowing that 10 months to a year and a half of recovery is worth healing for the rest of my life. And so... Um, that's why we're here. And so let me just take about 15 or 20 minutes, and, and I wanted to show you why it is that we admit 
that our lives are broken and unmanageable. Well, uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul writes to a church in Rome, and he writes this passage um, and, and this part of the letter to them simply to speak about the law. Now, real quickly, if you haven't been in church or you're not real familiar with the law, is we're not talking about just a civil law. We're talking about uh, a civil law, a ceremonial law, a religious law. It was a law that God had given to mankind, and especially not just mankind, but to the people of Israel. And Moses, uh, a guy who brought them out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, was handed these literally as he met with God on Mount Sinai. And God said, these are the laws, these are the instructions that you and your people are to live by. And they did so. Occasionally. It was a very difficult thing, knowing that the law was supposed to position them towards God. It was supposed to help them live pure, clean lives. Clean lives that... Uh, honored God in all areas. The problem was is that they were people. And not only were they people, but if they're people, they're what? Sinners. And so it didn't work out so well. And so Paul writes an argument uh, really about his own life and also the law. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, I'm going to put it for you um, up on the screen. But it, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? I mean, the law that God gave to the people is their sin in the law. Is the law the problem? And he says, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Do you understand what he's saying? He goes, long before the people ever understood law, they lived in reckless abandon. Matter of fact, before there was law, there was a flood. Why? Because the, the people, they, they did whatever they wanted. And God said, they are so wicked, they are so depraved, it's best that I destroy the world and start over. The problem was is that they didn't even realize the entirety of their wickedness. Why? Because there was nothing to govern their hearts or their lives. There was no law. There was no written word or instruction manual, manual, so to say, until what? God produces that and gives that to the people of Israel through Moses. And so that law is their guidebook. And what Paul is writing, he says, I wouldn't even known that I overate until I realized the law suggested that I shouldn't put other gods before me. I didn't even realize that I, I coveted my neighbor and sometimes... My neighbor's boat or his house or his wife. Because I didn't know that was wrong until the law was there. And so once God gave me a written word, a law, I realized that all the things that were going on in my mind and in my heart were, were wrong. They were evil. But sin, verse 8, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. He said, if there was no law, I didn't know what sin was. And now that I know what sin is, he says, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I know that the more I look at my life, I see everything about my life that is unmanageable. Understand? Like in many of you in here, you would admit, you go, now that I know what's wrong with, with the law, the law is not what's wrong. It's fine. It's me. As I look at it as the mirror of my life, I realize that I fall short. Matter of fact, every single one of, here, of us in here at Regen have no problem admitting this text. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? And so if you're in here today, I want a little participation with me. If you're in here tonight, 
would you just say, I have no problem recognizing that my life is unmanageable and I am a sinner, okay? Raise it high, okay? There you go. That's all of us, okay? And so we admit, and we admit that we're sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. Now, what's interesting is, is look what Paul continues to do in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 9. He says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. He goes, I thought I was okay. I thought that I was actually healthy, vibrant, and strong. And then I saw the law, and it, it hit me. And I realized I wasn't, I wasn't okay at all. I was actually a dead man walking. He said, I needed a physician. It was as if I got hit by a donkey laying in a ditch, bleeding. He said, I could no longer walk home believing I was okay. He said, I was bleeding out, and I needed a healer. Why? Because the law revealed that. And then verse, two, or verse 10, he says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. So we all look to the law. Matter of fact, many people, and you've heard it said, hey, I just try to live by the Ten Commandments. Many people hang it in their houses. I had one gentleman tell me, honestly, one time, I said, well, how are you raising your, your family? How are you raising your kids? And he said, with a straight face and with sincerity and honesty, he said, I put the Ten Commandments in our living room. And he said, I encourage our kids to live by those ten things, and God will love them, and they'll be good. But according to what Paul says, no, 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 no. Those ten things actually bring a curse on their life because it now reveals to them that they cannot honor their parents, right? Take out the trash. I'll get to it in a minute. Take out the trash. I'll get to it in a minute. There's just one instance of sin, right? If you don't realize that you're a sinner, just look at your, your young children or your grandchildren, okay? Like, you need to know, like, within the first three months, you'll see sin making itself known in children. Why? Because we are sinners, and it, it just reveals to us that we're dead. Verse 11 says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. Paul said, I was separated from a holy God because of my sin what he said galatians 3 10 paul writes to the church in galatians galatians something similar but he said for all who rely on the works of law are under a curse for it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law and so the dad who said here are 10 commandments boy girl you live by these 10 things they're actually cursed if they drop the ball in just one understand and so you have an option. And I know that it sounds really strange, and most of you in here would say, I, I don't think there's two ways to heaven, and I'll argue my position all day long. There's actually two ways to heaven. The first one is you keep the law perfectly. Anybody in here done that? No. But Jesus did. Why did he do that? Because he has a position, and he has a right, and a place in heaven. The other way is, is what? Not to keep the law but to what? Have grace through the law. Jesus Christ. And so you don't, you're not going to get there in keeping it because you're going to fail. So you're actually cursed. Verse 12 in Romans 7 says, So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. But the question is, have you ever thought about this? If the law is good and it re reveals sin, then why do we even talk about the law? Like, wouldn't we just say that, hey, we don't really need our Old Testament or maybe we just don't really need it because 
it's kind of confusing, you know? Like, you're like, here's the law, and when many people think, oh, we need to live by these ten commandments. We need to live by these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, this book called the Torah. We should live in it. We should abide in it. We should obey it. But it's kind of confusing. You're telling me up here right now that the law is actually a curse. So what's the law for? Paul says the law is good. How is the law good if it puts me to death? How is the law good if it just simply reveals to me that I'm a sinner? That's exactly the purpose of the law. Look at what um, Paul says to his buddy Timothy, a guy that he's trained to be a pastor. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, look what he says in following to 11. We know the law is good if one uses it properly. So he goes, you've got to use it right. There's a proper way to look at it. He said, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for who? Lawbreakers and rebels. For you people right here in Regen. For me. Sinners. The ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral people, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, for liars, for perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he has entrusted to me. He says the purpose of the law, ten commands, is to remind you that you fall short of the glory of God. It's, it's to help you every single day that you get up and look in the mirror to not deceive yourselves. It, it truly is James 1.22. Don't merely be here the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't be look like a man who looks in the mirror and who walks away and forget what he looks like. And that's so many of us. We'll even get to step one or two. Some of you, you're going to get through groundwork, which is kind of the beginning point here. You're going to get into about study step study three or maybe step four and then what you're going to do is you're going to begin to believe that i'm actually okay i'm actually okay and you're going to walk away and so deceive yourself and i'm not telling you that you have to complete an entire step study to be okay but the bottom line is this you do have to realize that every day you wake up from the day until god calls you home you fall short of the glory of god and the law constantly reveals to you how wicked and how dirty you are and were. And if you don't continually remind yourself of that and put people in your life to remind you of such things, then guess what? You'll become what we call a Pharisee. What Jesus called a Pharisee. You'll become the, the standard picture of Matthew 23 when Jesus says you are but mere whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're wasting away. You're like dead men's bones. He said, you'll be like people who you continually, you, you continually ask people to do something that you're not willing to do yourselves. Or as he warned about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he said, you tie up cumbersome loads on other people and you're not will, willing to carry the load yourself. Those people don't understand how far from God they are, were, and always will be without Jesus Christ. And so that's what the law does. Understand? The law reveals to us that we're sinners. Romans 7 verse 13, kind of kicking back to it, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. 
Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it is used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might be what? Utterly sinful. He said, okay, if, if, if indeed the law brings about death, should I be mad about the law? He goes, no, certainly not. Why? Because the law has actually gotten me to a place where I'm actually sick and tired of my sin. Do you understand? Like, listen to me. The only way that you are ever going to fully embrace recovery, not a step program, not regeneration, not Alcoholics Anonymous, not Celebrate Recovery, not some other thing that you think will one day fix you. The only way you're going to embrace it is to realize that I am sick and tired of these same patterns in my life. I'm so tired of the same sin. I'm, say, I'm so tired of the same habitual lies. And as my buddy Rusty once told me, and until you start treating sin, not like a cream puff, but like a rattlesnake, you're going to stay right where you are. Because we just say we're okay. And we manage it with coping mechanisms, don't we? And every single one of this room have two or three different coping mechanisms. After a long day at work, a handful of us overeat. After a long day of work, we chill, and we're just, we chill in our slothfulness, and we let our wife or we let our husband pick up the slack. And so you go, well, what's that? What's that? What's that problem? The problem is it's slothfulness. It's laziness. There's some of us who we kick out and we, we just separate ourselves all we can. And we go, I, I just like a beer with my steak. No, the beer actually is what takes off the edge. But until you're willing to admit where you are, then it's actually a curse. And so when you begin to realize that there's a war waging in you, then you can begin to make some traction. Some steps begin to move forward. Verse 14 says, we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He goes, we're flesh. Matter of fact, in John chapter 3, Jesus said to a guy named Nicodemus, a Pharisee actually, a Sadducee. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. Jesus looked at this guy, this religious leader who thought everything was okay in his life, and he goes, flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. Meaning, you're dead in your sin, and you were dead in your sin even the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. And when you came out, yeah, you thought you are okay, and yes, you have went to school, and you've learned, and people have elected you as a, a, a great outstanding official. People watch you walk down the streets, Nicodemus, and they esteem you as a high-valued citizen, like you know all things about law and civilization. But Nicodemus, don't be surprised at what I'm about to tell you. It's time that you are born again, meaning it's time that you leave your life of sin, admit that you're powerless over your own life, that you fail to manage it the way that you need to, and that you need a God who can. And that's what he wanted Nicodemus to do. And then he goes on, and Paul says, this is the part I love. He goes, I do not understand what I do. And I think this is many of us in this room. For what I do, not want to do. He goes, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I do, I hate I do. Yeah, it gets even more confusing. And if I do not what, 
If I do what I do not want to do, I agree to the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature or the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul goes, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I know that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. But he gets to this point, and this is the scripture that goes with step one in verse 18. He goes, but I know that there's nothing good that lives in me. That is in my flesh. Apart from God. And he says. But I do what? For I have the desire to do what is good. But I can't carry it out. Basically he's saying my life is unmanageable. And then he continues on those several verses. From really 19 to 23. And he just talks about the same patterns. I I know what I should do. I don't do it. I know what I ought to do. And I know I always find myself doing something different. And that's just many of us in this room. We know what we should do. But we don't do it. But look what he says in verse 24 and 25, and we're going to close with this right here because this is the point of regeneration. What a wretched man I am. What a sinner I am. And who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? If my sin brings death and condemnation, if Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death, He goes, then where am I? He says, I'm a wretched man, and I deserve everything that's coming to me. My body, my soul, everything is subject to death. But, 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, step one is going, I am powerless over my life. I've tried to manage it for 20 years. I've tried to manage it for 30 years, for 35 years. But I know now that I can't manage it anymore, and it's time for me to throw up my hands. And step one is admitting, step two is believing. Believing that God can fully restore you. And he does it, but 25 is the key. God fully restores us through Jesus Christ. And so as we move through regeneration, whether you're right now in a book study and you're steps 9 through 12, or whether you're just here for the very first time, The one theme that we have to reiterate in our lives every day when we get up, take a shower and brush our teeth, is that we can't, but God can. We fall short, but Jesus measures up. Amen? Let me just pray for us, and then uh, you guys are going to be dismissed to uh, different groups. Uh, But again, thank you for being here tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Uh, It is a delight to be here with people who are actually taking a tremendous step towards their own spiritual and physical health. Being willing to come and be vulnerable and even to to just admit to other people that they are broken and that in their own power they can't manage their lives. What a great place to be. You say in Proverbs 26 that the fool does a, a variety of things, but the one thing that's worse than a fool is a wise man who believes he's okay. And so, Lord, I just thank you that there's a group of 40, 50, 55, 60 people here tonight that are willing to say, I once was a fool, my heart was darkened, but I need light, I need truth, I need a Savior, and I need healing. That's so much better than a person who's out sitting at their house right now coping as they've coped all their lives, believing that they're actually okay. And so, Lord, may you just move us forward. Help us to begin to sift through this thing called life. Areas that we need to confess, 
places that we need to ask for forgiveness, amends that we need to make over past relationships that have been broken for way too long. And I pray it would all start with step one, our admitting to you that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.